Since you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, have you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, why did this happen to me? Well, you're not alone. I did too. But this is a time when you're given two choices. One, you let those four nasty words that you've been told, you have breast cancer, stop us from living. Or two, we can take what we're being given to us and use it as fuel on our path to healing, growth, self-discovery, and to bring out the best of us and become the hero of our journey while we get to inspire others to do the same. Join my inspiring guests and me on our mission to help women just like you with what we discovered on our hero's journey through breast cancer. This is a place where we share all the tools and knowledge we've learned to develop the courage, resilience, mindset and self-love needed to start living your full life like you might never have done before. I am Grace DeAngeli and I welcome you to Breast Cancer Hero's Journey Podcast. Welcome home. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. Now, today I've got a really amazing woman. She was a BBC broadcaster and voiceover artist in Britain and then worked as a journalist advertiser for China Radio International in Beijing. She's the author of a humorous self-help book, Adulteria's Wife, Adulteria's, I think I said that wrong, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, which is really amazing because there's a lot of women who go through that and I can't wait to touch on that. And she's also currently completing another book called uh, Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. So having said all this, I would love to introduce you guys to a beautiful lady called CJ Grace. Welcome. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show, Grace. We're going to get very confused with all these Graces here. <laughs> I know. So I just, the thing is, like, I'm going to go say, CJ, you're going to think, oh, well, she's calling me by my surname or if we say the word Grace. But welcome to my podcast. Now, as I said, I really wanted to touch on the book because it's quite interesting. But before we do that, I want to talk about your journey. So if you want to let us know a little bit about your journey um, with breast cancer, you know, the, the usual, when you were diagnosed, what you were diagnosed with, you don't have to go specific, but you know, what you went through, and then we'll talk about your book. Yeah, because what happened was, um, in a way, I was living a charmed life. I had a great job with the BBC. Then I got transferred to work for China Radio International as a journalist advisor in China. And that was where I had a fairy tale falling in love with my um, husband-to-be. Um, and, you know, when I fast forward to the 25th wedding anniversary we had, we had together, it was the best one ever. We spent it in Hawaii. Um, things were wonderful. I thought I was in the land of the gods. And little did I know that just two years later, both my marriage and my health would be in tatters because not only did I find out that he was carrying on an affair with a woman that was half his age, but also shortly after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time because I mm. carried that dreaded BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie, for instance, had seen as a death sentence. So it was a huge double whammy that left me reeling. And I had to navigate through that. Um, and that was, the, that was the story. For my first bout of cancer, which I had in 2007, I had a lumpectomy. 
it seemed like it was pretty straightforward. The second bout of cancer, which was on the other side, was um, a little bit more complicated because they found a, a micromat in one of the lymph nodes. And because of that, they said I needed to have chemotherapy as well as radiation. So that was, uh, that was pretty hard to swallow. I was really not fond of the idea of chemotherapy. I was pretty anti the idea, to be quite honest. Um, but I did go through with it, although I negotiated with my surgeon and my oncologist about the specific cocktail they used, because I did my research. One of the things that I would say um, for anybody going through health challenges is if you can possibly manage it, information is power. Do your research, maybe go for second opinions, take a look and see what the options are for you. And, and that's what I did. And because my ex was, well, he wasn't my ex at that point, but because my husband was pretty much involved with his girlfriend at the time when I was going through this, I had to be my own advocate. I really did. Mm. And that was, um, it's a challenge, but in a way it, it, for me, it worked because I knew what I wanted. I, I knew how to research having the background as a BBC journalist. I mean, journalism doesn't pay you very well, but it really teaches you how to research. And mm -hmm. so I, I really wanted to find out what side effects were likely, what alternatives were likely. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, as I went through this, I did both conventional and alternative um, uh, therapies. And I don't know whether you can um, take a look at the website that I have. I have a website called adulteresswife.com. And on that, I have my blogs about my um, relationship book. But I also have um, the beginning of my uh, new book, which hasn't come out yet, Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. And that cartoon um, really epitomized that I have in my introduction sort of epitomizes what I went through when I was um, going through cancer. Um, it's like everybody and their mother's uncle has a cure for cancer that they're desperate to tell you about. And mm. some people get really fire and brimstone over it. If you don't do it, you're going to die. You've got to follow my advice. You know, they really think they're doing you a big favor. And if you took up everything that people say you should do, um, they would probably take 72 hours a day to do <laughs> and cost a bunch of money. And some of the things might work and some of the things might not. And, and some of the things would be contradictory. So, you know, you just can't do it. So this cartoon shows advice that I actually received. Um, there I was going through chemo and radiation. So, of course, somebody tells me chemo and radiation is toxic and doesn't work. And I was also doing alternative stuff. And so, of course, um, another friend of mine said, well, alternative medicine is pure quackery. And then um, another person who was thinking that they were helping me said, oh, you got cancer because you're too tense. Relax and don't be so negative. And of course, if you shout at somebody to relax, that really helps them to relax, doesn't it? Yes, I'm sure. Um, and, and, you know, of course, you, 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 can't, you, you, you can get through cancer without ever being negative. And I mean, you know, it's a walk in the park for everybody, right? You know, you're not going to be negative. Duh, of course you're going to be negative sometimes, you know, and then of course the other kind of advice that I got, you know, if you don't give up dairy, your cancer will come back. Um, I'm a Brit, I've got to have um, 
milk in my tea, you know, I mean, I, and I wasn't going to give that up. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there are a number of things that they found are not good for cancer. You know, sugar isn't good for cancer. But I have to say that that dark chocolate is good for the soul. And that's got sugar in it. <laughs> and I'm a chocoholic. So so you, you just have to you have to be judicious. You have to go with your gut because you're just going to get all this advice and it's going to be overwhelming. Having cancer is overwhelming enough as it is. But then when you have a load of friends who think they're being helpful and some people who aren't even friends, they're just sort of people you happen to know. Um, when you're getting all of that and, and they're, they're telling you that you better follow their advice or you're, you're definitely going to die of cancer. You know, duh, no, that's not what I want to hear. No, 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 stop. Uh, so so I, I think that that cartoon really came from my personal experience. And I think that it is true for anybody going through any kind of um, cancer. It doesn't matter whether it's breast cancer or any other kind of cancer. You're always going to get absolutely tons of unsolicited advice. And some of it will be good, but some of it will be not good. And um, it, it won't all be welcome. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to tell people um, if they keep going on and on and on and on, you know, sorry, I, I'm, I'm not interested. Can you please stop? Um, I got some amazing things that, that, that people did, which led me to put a um, section in my book um, that hasn't been published yet. But this, this uh, I've, I've got an article on Thrive Global that was um, an abridged version of the section in my book about this. That's cancer etiquette. Because a lot of people are so clueless about how to deal with people who have cancer or serious illness. Mm. Um, and they don't realize they're being klutzes. So I thought it would be a good idea to have some do's and don'ts of how to deal with a so-called poor cancer victim. You know, this poor <laughs> cancer victim. And you've got to, um, you know, and, 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 and some of the things are um, well-meaning. It's not like people are trying to be, um, mm. trying to make your life difficult, but they really do because it's, it's sort of unwelcome the way that, that some people do it. I remember, for instance, when I did first get, um, the, when I got the second bout of cancer, uh, one person kept bombarding me with um, emails about what causes cancer. And I mean, you know, that horse had bolted. I already got the cancer. I didn't need to be bombarded with emails about what caused mm. cancer. I knew a lot of the things that caused cancer anyway. But what use was that? That definitely wasn't going to raise my mood, was it? So I ended up having to tell him, stop it. I don't, you know, stop sending me these emails. Um, <laughs> but people just think they're helping you. And you just have to put a line in the sand and say, no, stop. If something is, if you're going through something like cancer and people are doing things that make you feel uncomfortable and make you actually feel worse or emotionally more distraught, then you simply have to tell them to back off. And that's why I, I think that the cancer etiquette is really important. It's really important for friends, relatives, caregivers to know um, what is a good idea and what is a bad idea um, in terms of the way you interact with somebody who is suffering from cancer or going through the treatment and all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I agree with you because like you said, you know, if people don't know what to say and then it's, oh, you know, oh, my friend's cousin's auntie had it and then she died. Yeah, and then, that really hurt you. Uh, you know, doesn't it? You know, yeah. and the thing or, is you're already it, having the anxiety. It, it, Go yeah. on. And, and the other thing is it's almost with one particular person, because I have a, another section in, in the book that I'm going to be uh, bringing out, Hotel Chemo, which is called Drop Em. And that is about the friends that I decided to let go because they just weren't serving me. You know, the Absolutely. relative who really got on well with me when I was depressed 
But as soon as I had a more positive attitude and was, was things were a little bit, um, were, were getting better, she wasn't as interested. Um, the friend who, um, you know, every time that person called, it was because they wanted something. Um, I used a, I love Star Trek and I use a Klingon expression to describe that kind of person. I call, <laughs> call it a, a nuknech person because in Klingon, you don't have, hello, how are you as a greeting? You have nuknech, which means, what do you want? And I really <laughs> felt with so many of these people, it was nuknech. You know, what is it you want from me now? And I'm bloody going through cancer and chemo, please. Yeah, and so I just didn't yeah. I didn't want to deal with those people. Um, and so you, you just have to make sure all the people who um, are really just interested in the soap opera that's your life that they want to pass on to everybody and their mother's uncle and don't give you any confidentiality at all. I had some of those people too. Um, and they're, you know, calling up and they want to know what's going on. And you don't really want to be talking about what's going on. Mm, or people who mm. want to wallow in, 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 oh, you're feeling, oh, gosh, I'm sure you're feeling really bad. And it's so bad. And this and, and that doesn't help you either. So you, no. you really, it, it, it is tough on the person that's trying to <laughs> help you out. But um, Absolutely. you just have to do, do, you have to really be judicious. And one of the really common things that I found people will do, oh, let me know if you need anything. But you knew damn well they weren't really going to want to do anything at all. If you want to help somebody who is going through cancer and cancer treatment, you offer specific things. Can I do your gardening? Can I pick your kids up from school? Can I walk mm. your dog? Would you like me to make you a meal? Can I do your shopping? All of that is useful. But when you say, oh, just why don't you call me and tell me what you need me to do? That's a burden on the person who's sick. And generally, they won't bother and they're, unless they're so desperate that, that there's nobody else they can turn to. So, so it's always a good idea if you do want to help somebody out, offer something specific um, because that will be far more valued and far more useful. Yeah, and also though, if you don't have, if you don't like, you know, things happen to people all over the time, all all the time, and all over the place. So when I don't know what the words to say is, I don't. I'm really sorry. I'm sending you positive love, but I don't know what to say to you, and I hope that you accept that. Even that is better than me trying to fix your problems when I have no idea what you're going through. Right. And like you said, if you are if you don't know how to help someone, say, look, I've never done this before. Is I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. If you can show me the way, I'll be more than grateful. Is better than, like you said, oh, just tell me what you need. I had that as well. And I had to tell people I'm not dying. Stop! Tr oh, oh, right, hey, Grace. Yes. And, uh, and some How of the, yes. are you? Oh, I know. I had that too. And and we're praying for you. And I'm. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not in that stage where I really need. Um, and it's nice. Praying is is probably good. But but the way Absolutely. sometimes people do it, it's as if they're that you know they're all, all already putting your funeral date in their calendar. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh no, please. They're organising and, 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 and heavy pity and all of that. It it can be. Um, it can be kind of difficult but then on the other hand you've got people who are so who really don't know what to do so they don't have any contact with you at all which you could do with you know so um 
it, it, it is a difficult road. It's a very difficult road for somebody who is trying to help a friend or a relative with cancer because mm. it is mm. easy to get misunderstood. But if you're doing everything with love and with compassion, um, I think that is the way. And if you feel uh, uncomfortable, you just say it and you say, well, you know, um, I really love you. And if there's anything I can do to help, and obviously I'm, uh, you know, sending all my good thoughts um, that would be great. But but it's always good to have suggestions that, oh, yeah, I know you like chocolate. I love chocolate. Can I bring you Me some? <laughs> so yeah. so those kinds of things are, are, are definitely um, a, a good good thing, a good way to go, I think. Absolutely. And I, I and someone that I interviewed also said that she was very, very ill, obviously, going through her chemo. And she would get messages just saying, I am thinking of you. Please don't think you need to reply. And she said they were the most amazing messages she got because there was no, oh, now I have to reply and I'm not feeling up to replying. But it was um, it was someone reaching out saying, I, you know, I'm right there with you. And I thought that was even just as simple as that. You, you know, yes, there were women that I've spoken to who had friends and family who sat with them and, and fed their families and took their kids to school. But not everyone has that. Not everyone has that um, opportunity to have that sort of group around them, you know, and and it's good just to have someone just reach out and say, hey, you've got this, you know, you've got this, you're going to be okay and enough. You don't have to say right. anything, you right. know. And, and I like the way that um, that friend said you don't have to reply. That is so mm. important because sometimes there is this obligation that's put on you by all these people who – um, want, as I said, the latest episode of how you're doing, and it's a strain. Um, and it's and for some of them that aren't even that close friends of yours, it's none of their business, you know. Yeah. Um, yes, I threw up today. Uh, shall I tell you about that? I mean, no. <laughs> Do they want to hear it? Not really. <laughs> no, not really. But you know, I want to just go back to touching on, um, you know, the moment. You, you said you went through the, like the first question I guess I have for you is, so you went through the first route of cancer um, and were you diagnosed with BRCA back then or not? Yes, I was. Um, I, and my sister, because my sister had had cancer, breast cancer too, at the age of 36, um, mm. they did give me the test. Um, at that time, it was still patented by Myriad, who um, gave us this wonderful, uh, uh, event where they provided snacks and water and, and told us we should get all our relatives tested. And of course, at that point, because it was patented by them, um, the test was incredibly expensive. It was around $4,000, mm -hmm. which uh, mostly was paid by my insurance. Um, but thankfully, uh, a few years beyond that, um, the Supreme Court in the US overturned the ruling that um, they could patent the gene, which they should never have been allowed to anyway, because they didn't invent mm. it, they just discovered it. Um, and they were making a bucket load of money from those tests. Uh, once the patent, uh, once they lost the patent, that same test plus a number of other things thrown in at the same time went down to about $100. So um, that, was, uh, that was, was one of the things that, that uh, I was glad to hear that it, that, that, that uh, it became much easier for people to do the test because I didn't think that it was right that uh, my gene that was in my body should be patented by a corporation that just happened to find it. That, so I'm glad that at least that um, ruling um, uh, passed in the end. But um, 
you know, that meant that I had to be careful and have more testing, test every six months, alternate um, mammograms with um, uh, high contrast uh, MRIs, um, which also do have their own side effects because there are some issues with the gadolinium contrast material that they use in MRIs. Uh, but I did go through um, using that. I, I had MRIs every year um, and mammograms every year alternated six months apart. And um, then in 2014, that was when I had the second breast cancer diagnosis. Um, it was a very different landscape at, by then because of Angelina Jolie, who had made um, a public mm -hmm. statement about her having the BRCA1 gene, which is actually worse than the one I have. I have BRCA2. But she was um, making her prophylactic mastectomy very public. Um, and as a result, in between my two breast cancer diagnoses, I was very strongly advised to have a prophylactic mastectomy. Now, of course, I would not want to advise anybody to make that, to I wouldn't want to tell anybody what decision to make, but I knew that I didn't really want to do that. So when I was asked by my surgeon if I wanted to do it, I said very emphatically no. And a lot of my friends thought I was completely nuts. And especially since afterwards, you know, a few years beyond that decision, I got breast cancer again on the other side. And yet again, mm -hmm. the, the surgeon asked me if I wanted to have a prophylactic mastectomy. I still said, no way in hell. I didn't want to do it. Um, I had felt that from my own personal experience and from my own research, it was a bit of a crapshoot to know whether it made much of a difference in survival rates. Some people will disagree with that, but that was what I thought. And I'd also just recently, um, I, I was starting a new relationship and I did not, uh, and, and enjoying a wonderful sex life. Um, and I didn't really want to lose my breasts and have mm. um, these sort of numb bags that I couldn't have any feeling in. And on top of that, have all the problems um, from implants because um, I had heard of so many problems from silicone implants that I did not want to be involved with that. Um, in fact, um, one of the people that I, I met briefly was Nicole Deruda. I don't know if you've heard of her, but mm. she set up the Breast Implant Illness Facebook site. She also has a website, and I think she has over 145,000 members on her Facebook site, all these people who have had implant illness. And one of the poster children for implant illness is actually Crystal Hefner, Hugh Hefner's widow, who had um, the silicone implants for her career rather than because of cancer. But she was so ill from the implants um, that she needed to get them removed. And once that happened, her health dramatically improved and she's become a spokesperson for um, implant illness. So I didn't really want to go there. I just didn't want to have to deal with that. And in fact, my surgeon um, agreed that um, reconstruction is much more complicated than um, the mastectomy itself. It's reconstruction that can be an issue. And a lot of um, women these days are choosing to go flat rather mm -hmm. than having reconstruction after a mastectomy. But, you know, it's so much a personal choice. Um, and people still think I'm crazy to have refused it. And who knows, maybe on my gravestone, it's going to say, here lies CJ Grace because she refused to lop off her boobs. <laughs> who knows? Um, I, I mean, it's a, it, it, I just don't know. But that was my yeah. own choice. 
And that's what made me feel comfortable. Um, and, and that is the thing. There is no one size fits all, fits all for um, how to deal with cancer. There's so many routes you can take and so many ways you can deal with it. And you have to feel comfortable with, the, with what you've chosen to do. Absolutely. And I agree because I, I just spoke, I, when I spoke to a lady, uh, Marcy, beautiful lady, she was telling me that um, uh, one of the surgeons said to her to have the reconstruction done would take, I, I can't remember, I, it's not, I don't think it was the implant reconstruction. I think it was another one, which oh. my surgeon knows about as well, on oncoplastic or whatever it's called, um, something well, like that. I'm just, there are three ways you can do it. There's the silicone implants where you have mm -hmm. silicone in a silicone bag. Then you have saline, which is supposedly safer, but there are some issues with mold and bacteria collecting inside and the bag itself is still silicone as far as I know. Then the mm -hmm. third way of doing it is to have um, your own fat tissue so that it is moved from another area and put into um, where the breast tissue was. And, yeah, and um, that, that's, that's another way of doing it but that is also more major surgery because you're having um, surgery in two, in, in two or three places basically. Um, not just in the yeah, breasts. Absolutely. And that's what she was saying because her surgeon said to have the last one that you mentioned done, it takes more, you'll be in you will be in the operating theater longer than someone having an open heart surgery. Wow. And she thought, well, yeah, it was more than 13 hours or something. And she thought, I'm going flat. So she decided to go flat. So she said, I'm going flat. It's just, yeah, exactly. Because like you but Going back to you saying no thank you, thanks, but no thanks, no one knows your body more than yourself and no one can stop you from making your own decision. Whether it's a good decision, whether it's a bad decision, whether it's a crazy decision, it's still your decision. At the end of the day, people will support you. People need to support you no matter what you do. And that brings me on to my next question or my next thing is because like you said, you took down, you took the conventional route and you took the, um, you know, the alternative route. So just touch on that because like most of my listeners know, I also did holistic uh, as well. I kept the, the Western medicine beside me, but I also did holistic. But in your case, what did you do exactly to, to help you with all of this? Well, um, the first thing was, um, in terms of the chemotherapy, I negotiated with my oncologist about the cocktail. Um, she was originally suggesting that I had um, adriamycin and taxol, and may have different brand names in different countries, I'm not sure. But uh, I did the research, and I wasn't really happy about adriamycin, if, I, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I wasn't happy with that at all. Um, I had heart uh, issues in my family history, and it's supposed to be really tough on the heart. Um, and I had triple negative cancer that time. It wasn't um, estrogen dependent. And with triple negative, I was seeing that people were having good results from carboplatin, which it was a newer um, platinum-based uh, drug. Why not have platinum in, in my veins, you know? Why not? I don't have platinum jewelry, I might as well have it in my blood. <laughs> but anyway, the thing is that I managed to persuade my oncologist to go with carboplatin and taxol, which I think was less um, taxing on the body than the adriamycin would have been 
um, it was still rough, but it was it was better for me and for the particular kind of breast cancer that I had. Um, but the other thing I did, which I wasn't um, that open about with my doctors at the time, was that I did IV ozone uh, while I was doing chemotherapy. I managed to have um, access to that while I was doing chemotherapy, and it made a huge difference to me. Um, so much so that when I went to see the radiologist at the end of my, uh, near the end of my chemotherapy, I had to plan the radiation sessions. And she looked at me and she said, you're looking far too healthy to be on chemotherapy. What are you doing? Are you, are you doing something to negate the effects of the chemo? And of course, I didn't tell her what I was doing. But basically, what she was telling me was I didn't look sick enough. I just didn't look sick enough. Amazing. And I attribute the fact that I didn't look sick enough to having the IV ozone. Because um, yes, I didn't feel great through it. But it wasn't, it, it was doable. Um, I only threw up actually once, right at the very start before I took the, um, I didn't uh, take the anti-nausea medication quickly enough, but I didn't suffer from uh, from that. I did have some alterations in in taste. Things tasted a bit more metallic and I couldn't deal with more bitter things. I went off 70% chocolate. I had to go down to 56% uh, dark chocolate. But, um, you know, I, I felt really okay. I didn't have that sallow skin. I didn't have a rash. What was wonderful was that I had to buy all these things to deal with the potential side effects of chemo. Because before you start chemo, you go and and, and have an interview with somebody at the center and, and uh, they tell you very nicely all these horrible things that could happen to you as side effects from chemo. So off you go to the local pharmacy and pick up all kinds of things that hopefully would deal with those things. The nice thing was that most of those items that I bought, I gave them straight back to the pharmacy, unopened, unused at the end of chemo. So, so I do believe that I um, benefited from, from the IV ozone, even though um, it wasn't something that I'd made, uh, I, I didn't tell the doctors at the time. I did not do it through radiation because um, it is more contraindicated to do something like that throughout radiation. But I took herbal medicines. I did um, resonant frequencies, um, all kinds of, of stuff that, that uh, my more conventional straight-laced friends thought were total and utter garbage. But, you know, for me, um, I think they, they were helpful. Uh, and I would say that, you know, even if somebody is working with a voodoo witch doctor and it's improving their mood and making them feel better, so long as this voodoo witch doctor isn't draining their, their bank accounts and writing themselves in as the beneficiary of their will, why not? Let them do it. <laughs> so, so really, that's, that's my view. Absolutely. And I agree with you because at the end of the day, it, you know, uh, I also say that when I walked into, we have a what we call Peter Mac. Now, my mum, when my mum had a, a cancer, an external cancer, twenty well more than twenty five years now. At the time, it was about twenty five years. And Peter Mac, Peter McCallan Hospital, was this tiny little hospital in the middle of a side street. When I went in two thousand and eighteen to see my oncologist, I thought I was walking into the Seven Star Hotel in Dubai, and I thought, oh, I do not like this. And I mentioned it. I mentioned it in my podcast. I thought, wow, this is way too expensive. 
for my liking. If you really wanted to help the people, you don't need these fancy chairs and all of that. And it does in Australia, uh, the last I looked, um, someone going through cancer for the five years will spend $1.5 million, which is probably about 500,000 pounds, give or take, 500, 600,000 pounds and in I'm five in years. U- I'm based in the US, so so I'd probably understand. Oh, sorry, the, the US. So the US, <laughs> correct. Yeah. So in the U- yeah, I'm sorry, because of your accent, I kept thinking. But, um, but that's exactly right. So I just thought, oh, this is a little bit too expensive for my tasting. And I go back to that. And like you said, you asked your doctor, what are the pros and cons? Now, when I went to the oncologist, in my case, the it was tamoxifen. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Oh, it's here in tamo- Australia. Yeah, tamoxifen is um, the the pill they want you to take after. Correct. Uh, yes, and I turned that down oh. too. I looked that. I looked up the um, side effects. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Uh, so I never, even though my, I was, I was recommended to take that after my first breast cancer in 2007. Um, I did my research. I didn't like the side effects. Uh, I didn't think it was, um, helpful enough. So I, I turned down the prescription, but that's yeah, my and view, I you know, too. other people, other people, Correct. um, may, may have a totally different view and may be fine with it and may feel that it's, it's beneficial. I also didn't take a Rimidex, which is what they advise you to take when you're beyond menopause, I think. Um, and the trouble with a Rimidex is that it creates osteoporosis, which you really don't need. At least I didn't think I needed that when I was um, going through um, later life when osteoporosis is more likely to happen anyway. So I turned down um, that as well. Um, and, you know, again, some people might have thought that I was uh, crazy to do that. That was just the choice I made at the time. Yeah, but the thing is, too, it's not that you turn it down because you're just like, no, no, no. You Like you said, you did your research. I did my research. The lady, the oncologist, the cons were higher than the pros in my case. And I say that. So if give me a second alternative. Now, this lady, my second alternative was to get a a hysterectomy done. However, the pros of the hysterectomy were coming down because the cons were high. Because I would go through a hysterectomy and I hadn't gone through menopause, then my chances of heart failure would increase. So what did you choose to do? Did you choose to to do a hysterectomy or not? Nothing. 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 Well, yeah, because again, with my BRCA, yeah, with the BRCA gene, and this is one of the things that I felt that um, Angelina Jolie probably would have been better off publicizing this issue as well, or at least as much as the breast cancer issue. When you have BRCA, you're having, you have an increased risk of ovarian cancer. Um, and although that risk is not as high as your risk of breast cancer, uh, it's so, so much more serious because so many people get breast cancer and survive. The survival rate is very, very high for breast cancer. It is not for ovarian cancer because they're tiny little organs and it's very easy for the cancer to spread into the cavity to everything else. And by the time they find it, it can be gone too far to really do much. So um, what I did, and, and actually this happened to Angelina Jolie as well. She had a, there, there is a test you can do called the CA125 test for, um, it's, a, it's a blood test that's not 100%, not super accurate, but it's sort of okay. Um, 
that you can do to see if there's anomalies there to um, add suspicion that you might have a precancerous or a cancerous condition in the ovaries. And she had an anomalous reading and ended up having um, her ovaries removed, which is, uh, was a big deal because she was still um, premenopausal. But she didn't make that ovarian cancer risk of, um, from the BRCA gene, uh, one of the things that she talked about. And I think it is an important part. It's an important thing to consider. And I was told when I had, um, when I found out that I had the BRCA gene, they say, oh, yes, you should have um, a full hysterectomy with your, your ovaries removed. That's what they recommended. At the time, I didn't want to do any of that. I was still pre-menopausal. I, I, I still had periods. I didn't want to be slammed into an unnatural menopause. And so I waited. Then I went to England for a wedding. Uh, a family wedding and I spoke to some you know old family friends and I talked to them about the fact that I'd had breast cancer and all of this and I said, you know it's interesting because I just had two friends they had breast cancer and they did fine um, but then both of them sometime after they both died of ovarian cancer and I thought hell this is a wake-up call I need to deal with this um, so I decided that I would have what they call an oophorectomy, and that's the ovaries and the fallopian tubes taken out. I did not want to have the full hysterectomy because my view was that for me, I wanted to keep my um, womb intact because it's a big organ that keeps everything in place. And I was reading all kinds of side effects from, from getting rid of that, you know, ranging from urinary incontinence to all kinds of, of, of problems that I did not want to be having. And so I uh, decided to just go for the oophorectomy for the ovaries and the fallopian tubes to be removed. And the only reason they say you should have the full hysterectomy is that there is a very small amount of the fallopian tube that would still remain in the uterus if you don't have that removed as well. Um, but I just didn't want to have a full hysterectomy. My sister chose to have the full hysterectomy, but I didn't. I didn't want to do that. I, my view is always less is more. And, you know, as again, I, I don't know whether I made the right decision or not, but that's the decision I chose to make. But like you said, it was the, it, it, for you, it felt right to do what you got to do. And I, uh, like, I just went to my gynecologist and he gave me the great news that I'm one of these people who are going to be long-term bleeders. And I thought, great, here I am thinking I'm going to hit menopause. I'm 50. I'm going, oh, it's all over. Yay. And he's <laughs> like, no. And I thought, great. Like you said, I don't touch anything unless it's necessary, you know, right. uh, so and far, I my surgeon wait. hasn't and, discussed that. Yeah, luckily, by the time I did have the euphorectomy, I had already reached menopause. I just reached menopause, in fact, at that point. And so I did not have to have an unnatural menopause. I didn't have any problems with menopause. And I was really happy with mm. that. So, so, and that's what I had intended to do. I'd intended to revisit the, the, the whole thing about whether to remove my ovaries once I reached menopause. Um, and uh, so I'm glad I did it because I think that. Um, it is a hell of a risk. It's a hell of a risk mm, for people with absolutely. a BRCA gene. But um, again, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would have made the decision to keep everything, keep everything or to get rid of all of it. It's it, it, There's so many ways to skin the cat, so to speak. And you just, absolutely. as again, as I keep saying, you've got to do what makes you personally comfortable. You don't have to follow somebody else and copy what they've done. It's got to feel right to you and your gut. 
Exactly. Like my mum, I became the fifth member of our family, cousins, auntie, grandmother, mother uh, with breast cancer. But my sister, we, we're not BRCA. We're not in the BRCA. But my uh, one of my sisters decided to have a double mastectomy. But because she had a hysterectomy done prior, she was on um, hormone replacements. And that's when they said, well, with these hormone replacements, you have a higher chance of getting breast cancer. So she decided to have a double mastectomy. Um, so, you know what I mean? That's her choice. Like I was never told I needed that. Thankfully, I've, my doctor, she knows I've still, you know, I'm still going through my cycles every month and she hasn't. Now my doctor, if it gets to the day where she says, Grace, you got to get rid of that. That's when I'll really ask her a lot of questions. But right now, I'm not BRCA1, I'm not BRCA2, gratefully, uh, even though my mum my mom passed away of cancer and I'm not sure if it was cervical or uterus, um, but we were. T my mother actually unfortunately passed away while we were getting our results back for the BRCA1 and 2 uh, So because she needed to know if her kids are going to be safe. We are safe. When I got diagnosed, I did it again just to be safe. So it's in the, it's in the uh, system, God forbid, another family member gets diagnosed again, my blood's already there. I'm good to go. So now I just want to talk about, um, cause you've got so many different things that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, now one of the things, uh, I'm going to leave that one last because I like that one there. Uh, but you, cancer, uh, we spoke about the cancer etiquette. What about cancer and sex? A lot of people forget. Uh, okay. Let me say that. Whether you've had chemo, radiation or nothing, there are a lot of women who just feel like withdrawing. They don't feel the sexual needs, but then there's others that go, no, 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 I'm going full gun-ho. Just, just speak a little bit about cancer and sex for us. Yeah, there, there really have to, there are so many aspects to that. And um, if you are, one of them is emotional. Um, it's very hard to feel super sexy when you're going through chemo and you maybe feel a little nauseous, you, you've got no hair. Um, in some ways, the last thing you really want to do is, 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 is get intimate with somebody. So, so you have to be a, a partner of somebody who is going through chemo does have to be um, very aware that that can be, that can be the case. Um, and sometimes it will affect the libido, in which case you're not going to be that interested. Um, and, and, and chemo in particular um, has a lot of effects on the body that, that definitely can be passion killers. Uh, one of the funny things that I found, um, <laughs> and I will admit this in public, was that, that, that I, I became a windbag. You know, I had a lot more farts and stuff like that when I was going through um, chemo and, and, and all of that or the, the aftermath of it. And you have to have a partner that's understanding uh, to, to do that. And if you can laugh about some of the things that, are you, that you're going through and, and just have fun with it, um, it, it, it goes a long way. And, and, and you don't necessarily have to do any kind of sex that's uncomfortable, but you, you definitely want to keep the cuddles and you know go slowly and and just keep keep loving and intimate and different people are going to react different ways um and obviously for example if you if you've had breast surgery 
your breasts are going to be pretty sore and 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 or at least the breast that's been um, operated on is going to be pretty sore so that might be off limits for a while um, while that's healing um, so you know you you have to you have to sort of play it by ear and you'd need somebody that is very understanding I have a um <laughs> I've got a chapter, a chapter in my book that the uh, that hasn't come out yet, the Hotel Chemo book called Sex and Cancer, and there is a section in there called Porcupine Sex. Uh, the reason why I put that in there is how do porcupines have sex very carefully? So you know you have to just be more careful. You have to, if for example you have joint pain, which is a common side effect of chemotherapy and of, um, you know, general cancer pain and, and radiation, well, then you find positions that make you more comfortable. You, 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 you adjust, you, you change things around. Um, uh, and one thing that goes a long way is having a loving partner that, that still that tells you you still look attractive, that tells you how much he loves you and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, to give to give you an example, um, I remember when I was going through chemo and my um, I'd lost my hair and I uh, my my ex came to visit. We were separated at the time, um, and he said, you know, he was joking, but it still was a little bit tough to deal with. He said, "Oh, you look like a five hundred year old vampire," and I thought, oh. But then, you know, when I was with my boyfriend. He told me how he still found me attractive and 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 how much he loved me and all of this. so so that was that was lovely um so you you just have that kind of thing makes the sex better um and you have to as it, it, i suppose it's really the same as treatment options it, there are so many different ways of dealing with sex it's just got to be what you feel comfortable with um and there may well be a period when you're just not interested, um, you know, absolutely not interested. Last thing on your mind, uh, particularly if you feel like your life is at risk, the last thing you're worrying about is 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 sex. But after a while, it can come back, you know, and it can be something that 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 is still joyous and still fun. Um, I do remember um, I have cartoons throughout both books. Um, and um, the cartoons in my first book, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not, some of those are a little bit raunchy because, you know, what is adultery if it's not about sex? But generally in my second book, Hotel Chemo, they're more restrained um, cartoons. They don't really deal with, with those kinds of subjects, except that I do have one cartoon in the Sex and Cancer chapter. And um, the title of that <laughs> is Masturbation as a Chore. And the reason why I wrote that was because I went to see my pelvic floor therapist, who was um, just brilliant, because um, if you get a lot of people, for example, have scarring from childbirth, which creates um, pain, painful in intercourse. And I didn't realize that that had happened to me. And I didn't realize there was a cure for it, that the people could get rid of that uh, scar tissue. And, and you could find that you no longer had painful in intercourse. Amazing. Um, <laughs> so this, the lady I found was an absolute miracle worker. But while I was going through chemo and, um, you know, not seeing anyone during that, just while I was going through chemo, I, I didn't, I did have a boyfriend at the time, but I didn't. It was very, very new, and I didn't have him see me when I was actually going through the, the, the chemo itself, although he did come and see me when I was still chemo bald. Um, and so she said, you know, 
you really need to keep the area down there. Um, it, it, you need to keep it lubricated. You need to, because otherwise you could find that it dries out and it contracts and this and that. And so she, she told me I should get a vibrator and all of this and use it a certain number of times a week. And, I, and so I said to her, oh my God, masturbation is a chore. And she said, oh, don't say it like that. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, these are just the things that you do to, to keep everything still intact, to keep everything working right. Um, even though this is not something that you would normally mention in polite company, it, it, it is an issue. Um, and it's a good idea to address these things so that you can bring yourself back to normal. Um, it's always good to know that, that there's a fix that you can heal, that you can make things better, that you can get back to the way you were before. Um, and and if, if you can give people the information to do that, I think it's a good idea. Absolutely. Because the thing is, you know, you're going through that. Like you said, it's really important to have a supporting partner because if you don't feel supported, you then feel even more withdrawn. Like you're thinking, I'm already not feeling it but I'm going to withdraw even more. And I remember when I, it was so funny because I remember when I got operated um, on my left breast and, and my lymph nodes and everything, my husband was just so caressing. He was he would caress it, like in the sense he was he's nurturing it back to health as well. And I thought that is so important, whereas, you know, um, you know, other people that, yeah, it's something that we talk about because like I said, I didn't go through chemo radiation, so I don't know, but a lot of, of light of uh, women that I've spoken to have said that, yeah, it gets dry. I had to use lubricant. I had to, not, I had to, I get to, I got to, I got to use lubricant and things like that. And I thought, you know what, that is really interesting because sometimes you really need to do these things just to keep it going. And like you said, if a if it means having a play down there, go for it. You know what I mean? If that helps as well, because it also, it's not just, the thing is, it's not just making sure that you don't keep it dry, you know, high and dry. It's more that it's a type of way of feeling relaxed, feeling really good about yourself. You know, you release that, you have the orgasm and you release that and it makes you feel really good. And that's really important too. You know what I mean? Because you, you, because yeah, like you said, you're already in fight or flight, you know, am I going to, uh, what's going to be next, you know, what's going to happen next. So, and going up to us, uh, going to the next part, I guess, is because, you know, we talk about being positive and things like that, but you say that being positive is a good and bad thing. So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there is the tyranny of positive thinking. And that's where, you know, that one guy in that cartoon that we looked at earlier uh, comes out, you know, you need to relax. If you don't relax, you'll get cancer again. You know, the reason why you've got cancer is because you're so tense. Um, that is the tyranny of positive thinking and of telling people that they have to be positive and relaxed. Um, you can't force it. You can make somebody relax by being nice to them and nurturing them. Like that wonderful story you just mentioned of your husband really caressing your area, you know, your, your breast and all of that after you'd had surgery, that that kind of thing actually brings the tissue back to life um, and makes your, makes your recovery faster. That is good. And sure, you do not want to wallow in negativity. You don't want to feel totally um, depressed and, and, and thinking, churning your thoughts all the time. But you don't want to be 
feeling bad about feeling bad. Um, and often um, you get caught in this um, horrible spiral that you you, you know you, you have to have positive thoughts because you're not going to heal if you don't have positive thoughts. And, and well, I'm, I'm worried because I, I can't have positive thoughts all the time. And, 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 and the fact that I'm now thinking about, well, I have to have positive thoughts, that's not a positive thought. And, and, and well, what am I going to do? It, no. Um, so I think you have to give yourself the freedom to feel lousy when you feel lousy and just do activities that create more positivity in your life. And, and that's where I came up with um, uh, a six-part plan uh, to try to um, make sure that I got off the emotional roller coaster that was creating negativity. Um, it worked for the infidelity, and then I had to use the same techniques again for dealing with uh, the breast cancer. Um, and there were six things that I did, and I can just mention them briefly. Um, and they don't have to be done in any particular order. But these are things that allow you to get off that negative emotion roller coaster, which is inevitable. You're inevitably going to feel negative emotions when you find out that you have breast cancer. It is, you're not going to think, oh, wow, I feel great. I've just been told I've had breast cancer. Oh, yes. No, you're going to feel pretty crappy when you first find it out. And you have to find ways to not feel crappy any longer. Uh, and so what I did was um, I found confidants and mentors who had my best interests at heart. And these can be friends or paid counselors. And you can vent your deepest, darkest thoughts to them. You can process all your emotions with them. They give you good advice. They care about you. And, you know, they don't mind how long you're hanging on the phone, um, churning your uh, negativity. But they try to pull you out of it and they give you great advice and you feel a great sense of uh, support from those people. And I did have people like that. It's always good to have uh, supporters of both sexes because you get a very different view from men than you would from women. The second thing I did was rebuilding my circle of friends. Um, I wanted to cultivate existing and new connections and I'd found that almost all my friend circle was connected to my husband or connected to the business that we shared and of course if you're dealing with a combination of infidelity and breast cancer the last people you want to Discuss that with the people that are part of your professional circle. That doesn't work. You're not going to be able to do that. So I needed to rebuild my circle of friends and get back to being friendly with people that I was friendly with before the marriage because I'd let a lot of those people go. Um, and and that, was, that was huge. Um, there was even one woman who was a great friend of mine who was sure that she'd done something to offend me because she'd written me all these emails and I'd ignored them. I hadn't responded. I was so busy dealing with my husband, his business, raising the children, dealing with the house, all of the, the boring munitiae that you do as a, as a, as a wife, I suppose. Um, and uh, so she thought that uh, she'd offended me. Luckily, we, we reconnected and it was as if we'd never separated, we'd never been apart. So that was great. But it is important to have a strong circle of friends. And, and if you're married, obviously, your husband is a major part of that. Um, in my case, that was not true. <laughs> um, but uh, the third thing was laughter therapy. Um, and that does tie in very much with positive thinking. I was brought up on a diet of Monty Python. I wanted to be with friends who brought me up and didn't bring me down. I wanted to watch comedies and not depressing dramas. I remember I was invited to go and see Wild with Reese Witherspoon. And I thought, eh, no, I don't think so. It's a woman about it's a, it's a movie about a woman dealing with depression as she's going along the Pacific Coast Trail in, in California or wherever it is. No, I do not need to 
watch somebody be depressed when I'm feeling a little down from having this infidelity and, and cancer happening to me. So I didn't do that. I did like sci-fi. Um, one of the movies that I enjoyed was Guardians of the Galaxy. But the problem with that one was the scene there where the um, protagonist's mother is dying of cancer. And there she was, chemo-balled, right when I was chemo-balled. And uh, I could have done without that scene. But, but you know, I was trying to do things that would make me laugh, that would bring me up. I stopped watching the news. That was an amazing choice to make because I was a BBC journalist. I'd always watch the news, but the news is all bad news. It, it, it's nothing that's going to make you feel uplifted. So I, I gave up watching the news. I needed positivity. I needed to see stuff that would make me feel positive and that would make me laugh. Um, the other, the other thing I did, number four on my six-part list, was to um, work on loving my body and trying to become more beautiful despite the cancer, despite somebody telling you that uh, you weren't the only one anymore and that they wanted to stay with their mistress. Um, I looked after myself because I knew nobody else would. I wanted to make sure I was eating well, sleeping enough. Um, and getting exercise. Outdoor exercise was really key. Um, I found that I would, I would just force myself to go out in nature at least 15 minutes a day. It was incredibly effective for banishing the blues. And if there's just one thing you can do, just go out in nature for 15 minutes a day. That will have a huge impact on your mood. I think that, 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 that uh, certainly it did for me and, and it also did for a friend of mine who was going through depression. Um, I told her to do that and it sort of got her out of staying in bed, not being able to get out of the house. She finally got out of it by forcing herself to go in nature for 15 minutes, walking around in a local park. And, and, and it, it was a miracle, made her feel so much better. Um, so the next thing, number five, was to try to find my passion and become more of a hedonist because I'd spent so much of my life energy looking after my um, husband's affairs and I never made time for things I enjoyed. Um, I was sort of nose to the grindstone the whole time. And it's so important to do things you enjoy because that will make you feel better. That will make you feel positive and creative. And so many people let go of the things they love, of the things that they um, are good at, the things that, that make them feel creative. Once they get into, I don't know, a long-term relationship or the work world or um, dealing with serious health issues, but really you've got to, whatever is happening, you've got to make time to do things you enjoy. Um, for me, it was writing. I love writing. I was always good at it. Um, and I always found that a creative outlet. For other people, it could be playing a musical instrument, volunteering for a cause that they really believe in. And again, it, it's also an opportunity to find kindred spirits and build your connections with people. Um, so that's, that was the uh, fifth thing. And the sixth thing, which is the most difficult, but it is very important both for, I found it very important both for going through the infidelity and the breast cancer, was to try to live more in the present. Because when you think of it, the past is gone and the future doesn't exist. All you have is the now. Um, but so many of us, even without having gone through adversity such as breast cancer or infidelity, so many of us are not really living in the present. You know, you're worrying about, you're, you're worrying about things that, that you can't do anything about. You, you, if your mind is full of, 
oh, I should have done it this way. And, you know, maybe if I had done this, maybe if I had done this, then, then the cancer wouldn't have happened or um, my relationship wouldn't have collapsed. Or maybe I got the cancer because I did this and I should have done that. And, oh, and I made the wrong decision here. And what can I do? It's, it's all gone. It's irrelevant. And then you start worrying about the future. Well, am I going to, what's going to happen? Am I going to die? Or, uh, you know, and, and where am I going to live? And how much, what am I going to live on? And uh, those thoughts, it's, you've got to plan for the future. You've got to try and, and sort your life out somewhat, but you don't want to be obsessing about the future. You really want to be enjoying what's right in front of your nose. Because if you're not, you're not really living, you're just existing. So, so I did try and do mindfulness practices. And that's actually one of the things I have in, um, I have a free PDF that your listeners um, can download from my website called Overcoming Infidelity, Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. Now, I use the same stuff for overcoming the negativity I felt from breast cancer. Works just as well. And um, those are really important things to do. Uh, I also included in there um, a mindfulness exercise that involves using a piece of wrapped chocolate, because I'm a chocoholic. I love chocolate. And you can, um, you can uh, find that on my website, cjauthor.com. Go straight to the page on my website that has both the free PDF and a link to the video to, uh, to follow along and do the chocolate mindfulness exercise if that's something you'd like to do. I've lost the sound. I can't hear you. I don't know why. I just lost my mouse, believe it or not. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. Um, I look, I agree with both the fifth and the sixth hand. I mean, I agree with all of them, but definitely the fifth and sixth. And it's really funny because I just finished with your fifth one. I just literally did a podcast yesterday talking about why is it that we wait to get sick and then we do what we've always wanted to do? Um, you know, it's like, I yeah. can tell you exactly why. Because... Yeah. If things are sort of more or less okay, sort of hunky-dory, you know, maybe they're not absolutely top, top perfect, but they're okay. Everything sort of more or less works and not really, you don't need, nothing changes and, and you're just, you know, muddling along. Mm. You don't have an incentive to change. But when you have adversity, when stuff happens that really rocks you, rocks you off your foundation, like for me, infidelity and breast cancer, it's a kick in the pants to make change because um, particularly breast cancer or cancer as opposed to infidelity, it shows you you have an expiration date. And so if you don't live the life you want now, when the hell are you going to do it? Yeah. You know, um, and, and that's really what I felt. It, it, you, you gotta, you've got to do something now. And, and adversity is a catalyst for so many people to improve their lives. It sounds like a, a rubbish cliche, but it's actually mm. true. Um, and so that yeah. from the post-traumatic stress, you end up getting post-traumatic growth. Uh, and there even have been studies on that, um, on the whole yes. new post-traumatic mm -hmm. growth issue, because mm -hmm. um, you realize, wow, I've lived my life and have I done what I wanted? Have I, am I happy? Is this the, is this the, the life I want to lead? Am I with the person that I want to be with? Am I in a job that I really want to do? Have I 
done the creative things I want to do. Because when you think about it, if you're on your deathbed, are you going to be regretful about the fact that you haven't, uh, you didn't clean the house that time, you didn't answer all your emails, you didn't, um, you know, minister to your Facebook profile? Or is it going to be that you didn't tell somebody that you loved them, that you didn't put out and write the book that you've always wanted to do, that you never learned to play the saxophone and you always had a burning desire to do it. Those are the things. Those are the things that will make your heart sing. Um, and so you need to, to, to use, at least I needed to use, um, the adversity I went through to reevaluate my life and what I wanted to do. And, and obviously, I never thought that... Um, when I was growing up, I never thought, oh, yes, I'm, I'm going to grow up and become a, an authority on infidelity <laughs> or breast cancer or whatever the hell it is. You know, I didn't think that, but it just evolved. I always knew I loved writing um, and, I, and uh, I always wanted to, I always liked speaking. Uh, and I had a career in, in journalism, broadcasting, radio broadcasting. So, so I did, did do that. But all of that went away when I got married. I had 30 years of ministering to my husband's career and not ministering to mine. And it was a very valuable and worthy career that he had. And I don't regret the time that I spent on that. Um, I don't regret any of it because I had really two great children. There were good things in the marriage. And, um, you know, f f despite all of the infidelity, I do not regret the marriage. Because when you think about it, regret is not about the past. It's about the present. And so if you've been brought to a place where you are happy, if you are happy with your life as it is now, you do not regret the past. So um, I feel happy with my life as it is now. I feel grateful. Um, actually, I'm grateful to my husband and his, his girlfriend or my ex-husband and his girlfriend, um, because if they hadn't done what they did, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I'm a lot happier than I was in the marriage. I didn't even realize um, that I wasn't happy in the marriage. Um, so, so, you know, um, adversity really can make you reevaluate your life and put you on a path that is, um, that is actually better. Um, obviously when you are going through serious health problems, you've got the additional problem of, 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 of feeling lousy, you know, of, of, of not having the full energy that you would normally have. But even with that, it, it is a way that you can step back not be so involved in the um, endless munitiae of life. And you just can step back and think about what it is you really enjoy and just focus on that. And, um, and that really is how you become positive. And positivity, your original question was, was the, positivity, the positivity debate. And there's, um, there are loads of studies out there that prove that a positive attitude does improve health outcomes. But there are also studies out there that uh, seem to prove that a positive outcome, a positive attitude doesn't necessarily um, change your health outcome. Um, so so it's, a, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. But um, you certainly feel better with a positive attitude. And you seem to attract people into your life who are more positive and better for you if you have a positive attitude. But it's very hard to manufacture it. Um, and uh, you do have cases where somebody appears on the surface 
to have a positive attitude and they're smiling and, and they're saying everything's fine and all of this kind of stuff. But inside, they really are not positive and they're not happy and they, they're having all, all kinds of, of, of issues. Some of the folks who end up committing suicide, you'd never imagine that that would be what they would do because they'd been so cheery on the outside. So um, the exterior view of somebody is not necessarily what is truly inside them. And what I did find also in terms of the um, the attitude of the tyranny of, of positive thinking is that sometimes it's just easier on friends, relatives, and caregivers if somebody has a positive attitude or, or appears to be cheery because it's easier for, for those um, friends and caregivers. Um, it's sort of like a compliance thing. It's much easier to deal with somebody who appears to be in a good mood rather than somebody who's a sort of who, who's cantankerous. But, um, you know, sometimes really strong, feisty, cantankerous people end up beating cancer and doing very, very well. So, so as I said, um, there are pros and cons of this whole positive thinking debate. Um, and I think it's great. I think a positive attitude is very valuable. But I also think that it is really unhelpful to try to force a positive attitude on somebody who is going through cancer. And I remember somebody who, who was saying that to me, telling me that I needed to have a positive attitude and this, that, and the other when I was going, because when I first heard about my second bout of cancer and realizing that I was going to have to go through chemo, because that was a huge issue for me, I, I felt like crap. I really felt like crap. And um, one of the people who was telling me I needed to have a positive attitude, I remembered how um, negative they themselves had been when they went through a difficult time. You know, it was totally hypocritical, totally and utterly hypocritical. Okay, you want the positive attitude, you have the bloody chemo, all right? See how positive you are. See how you feel with your hair falling out, you know? And, and you know, you cannot manufacture it. It's got to be there. And um, so you're going to feel negative. You, it's just the way it's, it's part of the animal, you know. Nobody's going to feel wonderful about having cancer. But you work towards feeling more positive. And you use it as a catalyst to decide how you want to live the rest of your life to be happier and to be more fulfilled. And so, so that's my view of the um, positive thinking debate. Yeah, well, the thing is, because I remember speaking to my surgeon and it was so funny. I, I, I adore her. And she said to me, Grace, something has to be done. Scientists have to look into how the mindset is so strong. And I thought, oh, honey, where have you been living? Um, but, it, you know, but it's, it's just, yeah, it was. It was more like, oh, I felt like cradling her. Where, where have you been? Um, but, I, but she said something really, really interesting to me because she said to me, women who go in to get a, lip, a, limp, a limpectomy, a limpectomy a done, or yeah. a lumpectomy, sorry, or anything to do with it where they're removing the cancer, if they're highly stressed at the time they're under, they go under anesthetic, it can actually spread. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Wow. And she said, that's why, yeah. And she even said, that is why they actually offer like people who've got like high blood pressure and all of that, they give them those sort of tablets for people to take to calm them before they go in. And I thought, it is stressful. You know, when you go and get a scan, it's called anxiety these days and things like that, because it's scary because you don't know. But watch, I mean, 
getting, you know, anxious because you're about to get a, uh, a test done is different than living in fight or flight every five seconds. And that's where I was living. I was living in that, you know, and in fear a lot and things like that until I could get over it. But being positive, exactly. Like you can't, like people would say to me, and I don't know if I ever said to you, is, oh, you need, oh, what is it? You need to have strength. You, no, sorry, the best one. You need to have faith. Now, I get it now, but there are times where I'm like, what does that even mean? What are you telling me to do? I don't get it. You've got to have strength. You've got to have courage. Why? What do you mean? How do I get that? So it's that's the parts where you're saying don't force someone because someone's going to sit there and go, I don't know what you're talking about, Grace. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that the penny didn't drop for them and that's okay. So just be careful what you say. Oh, you're always negative Nancy. I get it. You don't want negative Nancy around you. I don't want negative Nancy around me. But at the same time, if someone's not getting it, help them, help them understand. But the other thing too I loved was number six, in the present. Yes, yes, yes. That's all I have to say because I was explaining to someone, I love my Tony Robbins. I love Tony Robbins. I love my Tony Robbins, um, you know, pen here. But if I hold on to it when it when it's, it's the ink leaves and I go, oh, I'm going to be suffering. Use it, move on. Be in the present. Right now, how are you feeling, Grace? Amazing. How were you feeling before? Eh, I had a bit of a headache, but that was before. Don't worry about it. How are you feeling now? Amazing. Okay, live in the now. Live in the now. And a lot of people go, no, 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 I need to. Like you said, of course, it's important to make, um, you know, goals. I, I think it's important to make goals. Uh, it, de- it doesn't matter how far you are in your journey. You need to make goals. You know, if you're if you're at a stage that's horrific, stage three, stage four, you don't know, still make plans. Because like you said, it brings in a positive mindset. Go for it. To have it is like for any person. You and I, we're good. We still make goals. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. I don't know. I, I I'm not sure if, sure if you get the contract. I didn't get the contract, so I don't know. But I'm still going to create goals, aren't I? So regardless what you're going through, create goals. Do what you love to do. Have hobbies. Like you said, you want to play that instrument? Go for it. You want to write a book? go for it. You want to be a public speaker? Go for it. You know, and and the thing is really go for it, but with passion, with passion, not because you have to, but because you get to do it, because you want to do it. I think that's really important because we don't know when our end is near. And that brings me on to the next thing because you talk about death and dying. Um, of course, I always say, you know, when people go, oh, I'm going to die, when, my, when someone tells my surgeon, am I going to die from this? She looks at him and says, honey, you could walk out the front door and get hit by a bus. I don't know. So, we're more, I'm, I always say every time I wake up in the morning, I'm closer to dying than to living. And that's the truth. I'm 50 years old. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, what do you actually, like, when you say death and dying, do you want to explain a little bit about what you mean by all of that? 
Well, one sure of the things, us. yeah, one of the things that happens when you um, go through cancer is it, it really is a reason to get your affairs in order and think about, well, you know, how would I? Because the final chapter of my um, hotel chemo book is called "Resting in Peace," and I do talk about some, for example terminal diagnosis malfunctions where I, um, I've, I, I've spoken to people who did get terminal diagnoses. One, one in particular, a wonderful um, guy who um, was told that he had uh, two months to live. He had a, a tumor, I think it was in, on his tonsil, that was in a place that was was incredibly difficult to remove. And um, so the after going to the ER, the uh, surgeon calls him up, does this over the phone and tells him to get his affairs in order because there's nothing they can do. Uh, what did he do? He got a second opinion, found a surgeon that was able to operate. And now eight years later, he's still around. So, you know, um, that that th there are, you don't necessarily um, have to believe what a doctor is, is telling you. Um, sometimes when people are given terminal diagnoses, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But um, that's one of the issues I cover. But I do cover, you know, dealing with wills, um, you know, burying the hatchet as well as the de deceased. Because, you know, I think that if somebody is on their deathbed, it is a time when they will want to um, heal rifts, heal rifts with family. You know, if there's been a, um, a, a, a child, a, a grown child that they have no longer have a relationship with they often it's often the time when they reconnect and there's a certain amount of forgiveness um and then it, it enables the, the person who's dying to 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 die more in peace um and it's also i feel um if you are going through any kind of serious health problems um it is uh, it's good to 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 make your affairs clear so that you don't leave your um survivors in a mess. Um, if you have a clear will, if you have um, clear instructions on what you want to have done in terms of your funeral, I mean, it sounds, it sounds very gruesome, but it really is important because it's bad enough for, um, uh, you know, your grown kids to have to deal with you kicking the bucket. That is not a pleasant thing for them. But then if they are left with a mess, they don't know what to do. They don't know what you would have wanted. Um, the financial affairs are all a mess, and you, you haven't a clue where any, they haven't a clue where any, anything is. I think that it is an incentive to organise your affairs, and it's good to have those things done, whether or not you have a terminal diagnosis. And I have to say that going through a divorce, as I did, was a great um, incentive to do that because you have to detail all your assets and all your affairs um, in order to go through a divorce proceeding, and those documents end up being very useful in terms of planning your will and giving your children the access to where everything is. Um, and, and I think that's important to do. It's, it, it's not necessarily a pleasant thing to do, but I think that it is, um, it's showing that you love your family. It's showing you love your kids, that you're not willing to leave them with a horrible mess to, to deal with um, once you pass. Um, and, you know, I also in that chapter had a lot of fun planning a funeral because um, I, you know, I have specific views on, on what I would want. I, I don't agree with some of the 
very fancy ways funerals are done in America, you know, embalming and fancy coffins and all of that. That for me, you know, I would go for um, direct cremation. If it was good enough for my cat, it's good enough for me. You know, just just put me in a plastic box and spread my ashes over the ocean. That that would do me fine. Um, my my family do not need to pay for an expensive funeral, an expensive coffin, um, you know, any of that or a burial plot. That's not what I want. But you want to make that 150% clear to, to, to your family because um, they will only want to do what you want. And um, if they're feeling, um, you know, bereaved and bereft and all of that, they might be easy prey to, say, funeral directors who want to push them into a very expensive funeral for you. You don't need that. I don't need it. Maybe some people want that, but I don't want it. If I'm gone, let them have a good party. But I, <laughs> but I don't really need a fancy funeral. So those are things that that I that I um, talked about because I think it's important to talk about. Um, we hate talking about death. Uh, we're very scared about death, but it's inevitable. Whether you have cancer or not, whether you have uh, any, it, it's going to happen to all of us. It can happen tomorrow. And so it's a good idea to have at least some idea of, of, of how you want um, how you want things to go when when that happens. Um, I'm not looking forward to dying. I don't want to die. I want to keep going for as long as possible. But it will happen, and um, it's it behooves me to to at least make some kind of plan for that. And when you have cancer, it shows you, wow, I could die soon bloody hell how's that going to work out i better i better sort out what i want to do so that's what that final chapter was all about and i i tried to put a lot of humor into it because you know in some ways there are funny things and 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 uh, actually some some funerals are, are quite hysterical especially when things go wrong <laughs> and i got a few stories like that in my book but um yeah so so yeah i think death and dying is an important um part of the the whole cancer equation that you have to think about um even if you don't have a terminal diagnosis, it's it's always going to be in. It, it, it will always be there. You can, because they say. I mean, what I was told, I wasn't told that the cancer was cured. I was told it was in remission. Ugh. But you know, so be it. It's just the way of the world. And I just, um, as you said, you could get run over by a bus tomorrow. Uh, in which case, it doesn't really matter if you would have got cancer in five years. You're you're already dead anyway. <laughs> So. Exactly, exactly, and it's quite interesting because I met an an amazing gentleman, um, oh, probably about a year ago now, probably a little bit more. Amazing human being. He was given, I think, eighteen months, and like you said, I don't believe in doctors giving contracts, but you know, some doctors do, and that's fair enough. My doctor refuses to give someone a contract, even though she may know. But um, this gentleman was amazing. He he left such an impression. An imp- you know, an imprint on my heart. He was an amazing gentleman and believe it or not, 18 months almost to the day he passed away. But he lived his life to the fullest. But then I also read a book. Uh, it's a it's an Australian author and she actually goes around and she writes little stories about people, what they go through. And she went to a, oh, I've forgotten the name of what they call it. It's the people that they help the family if you're dying. They help the family. If someone's going into palliative care, this is person who goes there and says, okay, here family, here, you know, p- patient, what do you want to do? And like you said, what she ended up having is she wanted 
it wasn't even an awakening. She wanted to have a party where everything that you would have done at an awakening, she did while she was alive. So people put photos up of her. They they wrote about her, how she was wonderful and all of these things. And I thought, isn't that great? Because we hear about it after and she's thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be dead. I don't want to know. I'm not going to get to know what my friends think of me. So I want to do this while I'm alive. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Oh, that's you know, a great idea. Great yeah, idea. I thought it yeah. was. I thought so too. I thought, isn't that great? Because she was she was a lady who was dying. She was had terminal cancer, and she said, "No, this is what I want to do." So she, they they hired a hall and they had the food and the everything. It was a party. They celebrated her life. And I thought, how wonderful is that? Because she gets to know the impact she made on someone's life. Because isn't it crazy when you hear about, oh, you know, he was he was amazing to me, or oh, she was, she was just, she left such a beautiful impression on me. Well, isn't it beautiful if someone got to tell you that? Right. You, go, well, well, that are, you know, that's a great idea. I think I'm gonna have to put that in my book as an idea. I'm going to read that. You might. Yes. I mean, we have to stop continuing to write it because it's supposed to be finished. But that is such a fantastic idea that I think I need to put it in. That's a terrific idea to basically have the memorial um, while the person's still alive and uh, enjoy that with the person. What a mm-hmm. fabulous! That's really fabulous. I thought it so, was, and I'll yeah. and I'll send you the book if you. I'll, I'll actually um send you the book if you're interested in this book or anything. But it was just amazing. Um, but uh, the last thing, uh, you know, actually, I wanted to touch on this because you say cancer as a teacher. I always think that too. I always think that it's taught me so much in life. Having it, it still teaches me. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm a student, but I'm also a teacher in life. Uh, But what's your take on that? Well, you know, in a way it is. I mean, I have to say people were telling me that um, I was getting cancer as a, it was a learning experience. When I was actually going through chemo and people were telling me stuff like that, it did make me want to slap them in the face. <laughs> to be honest, it's the last thing you really, oh, yeah, you're, you're having this horrible time with chemo, but but it's a real good lesson for you. You take this lesson. I don't need you. I don't, I don't need you telling me I'm having a lesson here. But the fact is, um, it is a teacher. It does give you um, an incentive to move on and do whatever it is that you want to do. And it also was something that helped me to um, learn more about what what breast cancer was all about, why it happens, how people can reduce the op- the chance of it happening, um, what they can do, what I can do, all of, of this kind of stuff, and made me want to read tons of material because I am a you know my former a journalist with the BBC, and I do go very anal with research. And so I read tons of books. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, you know, some of the things that 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 I found out were really quite eye-opening. Um, one of the things, for example, that I read about, I read this book called Dress to Kill. Amazing title, brilliant title. And what it is about is um, it, it's written by um, an author, uh, husband and wife team, uh, last name was Singer, I think. And they found that the link between bras and breast cancer was stronger than the link between smoking and lung cancer. And I was amazed. I, I, I just found that very hard to believe. But when I looked at the research that they did and some of the research that's been done overseas, um, that really seemed to be um, very valid. Um, and so so those kinds of things are, you know, 
having gone through breast cancer, I wanted to learn both the um, conventional and the alternative views on, on how to deal with it. Um, strangely enough, that view is controversial. When, when the study came out, um, the singers thought that the cancer community would welcome them with open arms. But instead, um, another study was commissioned in 2014 um, that was, um, it claimed that it debunked the singer's um, research. But in fact, that second study didn't have a control group. Um, it just pitted women who wore bras who didn't have breast cancer against women who wore bras um, that did have breast cancer. One group had breast cancer, one group didn't, but both of them wore bras. Whereas, um, you know, the, the more serious studies had control groups of people who weren't wearing bras at all and those found that the incidence of breast cancer there um, amongst the women was the same as the incidence of uh, breast cancer in men. And I have to say, I don't know any men who've had breast cancer, but I know absolutely tons of women who've had breast cancer. So um, that's a controversial subject. Um, and some of my um, doctor friends say, well, you know, I'm confusing causation with correlation and correlation with causation or whatever. But um, it, it is um, definitely something that I think is worth looking at. And after I found out about that, I did stop wearing a bra um, and I made sure I went to sleep in uh, loose clothing and all of this kind of thing because I felt that, and, it, and the rationale that they use is that um, if you're wearing a bra, especially if it's tight, it's preventing the lymph from moving. And so toxins that have collected in the fat tissue, which is where toxins collect, and you have plenty of fat tissue in the breasts. Um, so the toxins that collect in there um, cannot be um, flushed out if you're not allowing your lymph to move because it's constrict you're, you're constricted in a bra. That's the rationale. So that was one of the things that I, I, I looked at. I looked at a lot of uh, different research. I tried to eat more healthily. As I said, I tried to um, exercise more. I tried to live a healthier life. And that's another change. That's another teaching experience from going through breast cancer. A lot of people end up um, living much healthier lives. Another guy that I spoke to who had cancer, he said, you know, before I got the breast cancer diagnosis, I was 400 pounds. And when I got the breast cancer and I went through chemo, I lost weight. I lost a lot of weight. And I would have died if I'd have stayed at 400 pounds, I, my health was really not very good. And now it's good. So cancer can be a teacher in all kinds of ways. Um, and you don't necessarily know how it's been teaching you until, um, and, you know, until you've gone through it all. But uh, absolutely, yeah. it, it can be a teacher and it is a teacher. Yeah, I agree because it, it does. It, it teaches you in so many different ways. It teaches you in your mind, your body, your soul. And like you said, you know, um, you when I say you detox, it's not just detoxing your mind. It's not just detoxing your body. You're detoxing your home. You're detoxing your surroundings. You're detoxing your environment, your community your friends, your family. It doesn't mean that you have to throw them on the curb, but you're going to send them with love because they're no longer, you know. So it really teaches you because like you said, you know, even before, you know, you spent 30 years and how wonderful it was to work with your husband, but that was even suppressing who you wanted to be. It did the same with me. I went from, you know, working with, you know, four, three of the leading banks of Australia to going into a construction with my husband. But even though I was living the life, I was having the fairy tale, the cars, the, you know, the jewellery, 
but it wasn't who I was. And life ruffled us. The cancer ruffled. Well, you know, 20, 48 hours before I was diagnosed, we lost our company and then I got diagnosed. So life went, hey, I'm going to teach you something here. So yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, we went, great, because we'd get to do now what we want to do. So my husband's a life coach who on work sites, he used to go and do life coaching anyway, more than his work. And I get to do what I want to do as well, you know, and I think, you know what? So, you know, some people go, oh my goodness, you lost everything, everything. And you're still smiling bigger than ever. Why? Because life could have been so much different. I could have been already two years, three years underground. So I just think, you know what, life, okay, you want to do that? You want to teach me cancer? You want to teach me something? Oh, I know what you're teaching me, how to stand up, how to stand up for me, how to really be me, love myself. Like you said, learn to love yourself. Look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and tell myself, Grace, I effing love you. And I say it like I mean it. Um, Laughter is a therapy. I believe so too. You know what I mean? I love that. I love the fact that you talk about laughter because I think laugh at you. Like you said, all these things are happening. Your hair's falling out. I had one lady telling me that her eyelashes fell out of one eye and not the other. So she looked like that weird doll in yeah in you know um uh toy story that weird thing you know that doll that there was there I can't remember it but she said I look like that because one eye was like closed and one eye had all my eyelashes but she laughed about it and I thought you know what we're not we're not sitting here saying don't take it seriously yes of course you know you've got to take it seriously but laugh laugh is the best medicine I think it really helps you express who you are. It really helps you get through your toughest moments. Um, and it really helps you see things in a different way because when you're loom and groom and always depressed and things, and you get that. One lady reached out on a social media saying, I feel depressed. Guess what? Women go through the seven seven stages of grief. You go through resentment. Oh, yeah. You go through anger. You go through depression. You go through that. You ha- it's like losing someone, you know what I mean? And I mean, in your case, you had like a double whammy, if I can say that, because not only have you lost your husband, but now you've got breast cancer. So you're going through, I mean, if I could say it's a blessing in disguise, because at least you get to do the both at the same time in a way, you know what I mean? <laughs> if I can say that, but you know, not that I want you to go through that. But you know what I mean? That you went through that. You went through the anger, the resentment, the depression, the anxiety, all of these things. But it makes you better. But laughter is something that's really amazing. But, you know, we touched on so much. But is there anything else you want to touch on? And I'm thank you for sending about the, the link between bras and breast cancer. But was there anything else you want to, you think um, our listeners or our viewers is really something that can really help them out? Well, I would want to uh, direct them to my free PDF because I think that Mm -hmm. is going to be very helpful. I did mention it earlier. Um, I write a lot about um, those kinds of issues in my book, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, which is available on uh, Amazon as an ebook. And um, for US um, people, it's available as a print book through my website. Um, But I have a free PDF 
on my website, adulterer'swife.com. Um, it's a terrible name for a website. Nobody can spell it. And there happens to be a porn site that's spelt very similarly. Um, so I don't really, so, okay, it's adulterer'swife.com, as in somebody who has a husband that is adulterous, but the wife is not the adulterous one. But anyway, um, to get to my free PDF, all you need to do is to go to cjauthor.com, which is much easier to remember and to spell, cjauthor.com. And that will be getting you through to the free ebook called Overcoming Infidelity, Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. And boy, do you feel negative emotions when you first get uh, diagnosed with breast cancer, that's for sure. Um, and then um, also on that same page, you, you'll be able to have a link to my chocolate mindfulness exercise um, that I have because um, one of the exercises in the PDF is uh, an exercise using chocolate. Um, it was developed for people, for school children to use in um, British schools. So if kids can do it, I'm sure we adults can do it too. And since I love chocolate, I'm a real chocoholic. Um, it is an important exercise for me. So if you'd like to do the, to follow along with me to do the chocolate mindfulness exercise, I have a video of that on that page, cjauthor.com. We'll get you straight through to that. And um, I think that People just need to know the big deal is there is hope after a breast cancer diagnosis. It is not the end. Um, you are proof of that. I am proof of that. You know, imagine six months from now. Imagine how you're going to be a year from now. Um, you may really feel down in the dumps. You may feel depressed. You may feel like you've got some horrible things that you have to go through. But just Imagine how you're going to be a year later and use the time to think about how you want to live the rest of your life. Um, that is, that's the best thing. It's, it's really wonderful to have an opportunity to become a more complete, creative and joyful human being. Um, and uh, adversity is a catalyst to, to, to do that. Um, and that's what I write about. Um, and that's what um, I think your function is, Grace, in putting this uh, whole uh, podcast together because people need to have that encouragement. They need to know that there is life after a breast cancer diagnosis. There is hope. There is not just hope. There is a way to use it to make your life better than it was before. Adversity can be used to make your life better than before. And it's not a quick and easy thing necessarily, but it is certainly doable. Um, and that, that's the, the focus of, of, of a lot of my writing. I do bring in a lot of humor, though, you know, because if you don't, as you said, if you don't laugh, you cry. <laughs> so um, I, I've got a lot of cartoons and a lot of uh, jokes, but um, I cover some pretty profound issues, too. Uh, and that's what's going to happen when I bring out my next book, Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. And if you go to my website, adulteraswife.com, um, you will find I've got the introduction and the table of contents up for that book so you can read it. Um, and you can access all that through the URL cjauthor.com. As I said, cjauthor.com, so much easier to remember, so much easier to spell um, <laughs> than my actual website. So so that's um, that's really what I would say. Um, that That's how you can um, follow up um, and find out more about what I'm doing. 
Absolutely. And I, and I just brought it up. So all of the links will be in the podcast and also on the YouTube channel. Everything will be up. So they all they have to do is click a button and it takes them straight there. Make I'll make it so much easier for them. But, you know, I really appreciate that because like you said, it's just, we are, we are the advocates out there to say, hey, because, you know, a lot of, you know, back 40 years ago, back 60 years ago, whatever it is, a lot more women were dying because they didn't have what we have today. But today, you know, I'm really pushing for women, um, whatever age, when I say that, whatever age to want, if they want to go and get a pretest for breasts, you know, on their breasts, whether it's chemo, sorry, chemo, whether it's ultrasound or mammogram or MRI, that they can do it without being charged an arm and a leg. Because what's happening is, yes, women are being diagnosed. And this is, you know, going back, my doctor did say that, because this is where they make the, that, the dollar sign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because, because women between 50 and and. 60-ish at their 70 is where mainly the women are that they get diagnosed, you know, sort of 30s and 40s, of course. But what they want to do is they want to give you free mammogram and ultrasound and all that between 40 and 60s, you know, the between that. But what happens is there's women who are 30 that are getting diagnosed. But by the time they get diagnosed, it's because they felt it. I asked my doctor that. When it gets to the point where they're feeling it, she's like, yes, Grace, it's stage three. It's stage four. It's stage two into stage. It's a later stage because by that stage, it's grown. So the thing is too, it's, you know, I I really want to push that women are able, you know, eventually, I don't know how, but where it doesn't matter. You want to go and get checked go and check yourself, you know, because it can happen. And unfortunately, some women, when they get diagnosed, it's because they didn't get it early, you know, and things like that. Can I just mention yeah. one thing? Because there's a product Absolutely. that I bought um, that, that I was recommended to buy. Um, and mm. it's I've actually got it here. My breast friend. Let me show you what it looks like. <laughs> My breast friend. I've got nothing to do with the company that makes this. But what it is, is um, I've always found it incredibly difficult to do breast self-exams. Plus, I have very dense breasts. So mm. it's not very easy to do that. And what this thing is, is it is the... Um, model, the kind of model that doctors work on to be able to do breast exams and feel uh, tumors in women's breasts. And you can hear the rustle of me un unwrapping this thing. <laughs> um, and this is what it looks like. It's, it's a fake boob with um, tumors in it that you can practice feeling. Um, I think it costs about 150 bucks or something like that. Whether it, um, And I found that very useful to train on because I when, I, when my doctor put my finger on the second tumor um, that I got in 2014, I couldn't, I could barely feel it. I couldn't feel it at all. Um, so if you are doing your own breast self exams, and especially now with um, COVID with uh, it, sometimes in some places, it's a lot harder to go and see a doctor. Um, mm. It is a good idea to do um, self exams. Um, and maybe if you learn how to do them properly, you might be able to find them when they are smaller rather than when they are later stage. I know this is a, this is, there are mixed views because some, some studies are saying that um, 
self-exams really aren't making any difference to survival. Other studies seem to show that it's make, that it is making a difference to survival. So um, I don't know what the truth of that is, but I thought it was useful for me to buy this thing as a tool because I felt like I was completely hopeless at doing breast self-exams. So this is one thing that... that um, that people might want to consider, and the product is called My Breast Friend. Um, so, th so there are there are things you can do um, in terms of of self exams. Um, and uh, the, as I said, the, one of the issues is the denser your breasts, the harder it is to actually do those things um, effectively. But um, it's definitely worth um, worth trying. For example, let me give you the example of my sister. Um, her um, her tumor was found by um, by somebody else, um, by a partner. So um, uh, she didn't find it herself. And I don't believe she was late stage. She was maybe first or second stage. Um, so in effect, that was like a breast self-exam. It just happened to be somebody else who was doing the exam. Uh, but... Um, uh, so, so you know, there are tumors that are that are found by women examining their own breasts that um, are at an early enough stage for them to to do very well and survive on whatever treatment that they have to undergo. So, so I would say that um, self exams are probably a good idea. Um, if and uh, it's the, the better you can do them, the more effectively you can do them. Obviously, the more the the, the better off you'll be. But um, screening is definitely important um, to do, definitely. So the, it, it's, yeah, exactly that. And, you know, with COVID and all that, a lot of people aren't going to their appointments. They're using COVID as the excuse and things like that. And I always say, please, if you've got follow-ups, go do them. But I'm not sure if you've heard just recently, I also heard um, from my surgeon as well as other places, I, I heard it from three different people in a matter of not even a month, uh, how the, if you go and get the vaccine, it can cause the lymph node to swell on that side. So what happens is my surgeon advises, you know, this is her, it's not mine, this is what she says, um, she advises to wait, if you can, wait eight weeks after you have the vaccine. Um, so then the lymph node goes back to normal size, because what's happening is, they're doing their, you know, their annual or they're doing their, you know, follow-ups or whatever it is and they're finding the lymph nodes are swollen and then they get all panicky and then they realise it's because the um, one of the vaccines, I'm not sure if it's all the vaccines, but one of the vaccines can cause the lymph nodes to swell. On so that side. So say, for example, you've had the vaccine on the left correct. side. It's going to be the lymph nodes on the left side that would be inflamed or whatever and, and that will show correct. up in a mammogram or something like that and be suspicious. Correct. Yes, yes. So, and of course, that's what I say to people. Don't don't use it as gospel. If you feel something, you go um, regardless. You know, I'd rather go to the doctor and she says, oh, Grace, you, you, did you take the vaccine? Yes, I did. Oh, it's only that. And we've checked it out and it's all sweet. Then to go, oh, that's because of the vaccine and it's not. So I always say to people, just, just you know, like you said, have a bit of a play around and a bit of a squeeze and make sure everything's in the right places and things like that. So I really loved having you on and I appreciate all that you've shared with us because I've written down so many notes myself. Um, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things. 
my um on my podcast and as i said on my youtube we will have all the links to how to purchase your books the free pdf everything you need to know about cj and everything she's been through i can't wait to get the book and have a read of it and you know it's it's just been amazing. I, I really have learned so much. I've learned so much today as well. So I really appreciate that. So is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this thing up? I think we've covered an awful lot of ground. You know, I will just give you my um my teacup here, which says, This is not my star sign. Um <laughs> I I managed to I, don't worry don't worry if you have cancer you can get through it um it's funny I love tea and I always like to have a big mug of it and I found this in a shop um nobody obviously wanted to buy it because of the you know if if you aren't that star sign the last thing you want is a mug that says cancer on it but and I bought it before I had cancer and then when I had cancer I thought oh do I really want to be using this mug anymore and then I thought screw it I'm going to continue using this mug so that is my tea mug so basically you can beat cancer that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, you, you can just, um, it, it, it can be done. There is hope. Um, and you can use it to make your life better than it was before. And, and do get my, my free PDF on cjauthor.com. And you'll find out exactly how to get off that horrible emotional roller coaster that a cancer diagnosis puts you in. It's inevitable, but you can get through it. That's what I would say. You can absolutely get through it. Absolutely. Now I am a Cancerian, believe it or not. So I really loved your mug. <laughs> so I could use it for two things. So if anyone says, oh, cancer. Yeah, well, I'm a Cancerian. So there you go. I could use it <laughs> depending yep. on what day I'm in, what, what mood I'm in. Um, but definitely I thank you again. I, you know, and I can't wait to read your book and then have you on my podcast again. And having said that, um, you know, I wish you so much well and goodness and so much light. Uh, and I can't wait to, yeah, get in contact with you again soon. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to, to be on your podcast. You know, you really are a, a poster child for the breast cancer hero's <laughs> journey yourself. So thank you so much, Grace. <laughs> Thank you. And to everyone listening in, I hope you guys have enjoyed today's podcast. Can't wait to have you guys listening on the next one. And like always, I wish you so much love and light. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you could have chosen any other show to spend your time with today. And I'm really grateful and humble that you've chosen me instead. And I hope I've been able to serve you in any way. You know, I hope this will become your go-to place to help you heal, feel supported and discover yourself along your hero's journey. And if this episode helped you today, please subscribe and share it with someone you know that would benefit from this. As I've learned about my hero's journey through breast cancer, nothing we receive is for us to keep but to be shared. And I hope I can serve you further by sharing some of the tools I've learned along the way. And it's hard for me to share it all in one simple episode. So if you go to www.theangelsofgrace.me forward slash resources right now, you can find a collection of tools that might be exactly what you need to take you on your hero's journey. And given that I don't know if you're listening to this podcast at the start, the middle or the end of the day, I want to wish you an amazing morning, an amazing afternoon or an amazing evening. I am Grace DeAngeli and you listen to the Breast Cancer Hero's Journey podcast. Thanks again for being here. Much love and light.